Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature John Stott. When Stott speaks, he has a voice that is friendly, courteous, and natural. It is humble and self-critical, but also confident, joyful, and optimistic. Stott's mission is to pierce through all the encrustation and share direct contact with Jesus. Stott says that the central message of the gospel is not the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus himself, the human divine figure. Today, John Stott presents a study on John 7, verses 14 through 17. It was recorded on January 1st, 1960. series of addresses is called Our Lord Jesus Christ. We began with his virgin birth. Last week the subject was his sinless life and today we are to talk about his gracious words. It is indeed natural to turn from the birth and the life of Jesus to the teaching of Jesus which is what we're doing today. My text is in St. John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 14 to 17. John 7, 14 to 17. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do, that is, is willing to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of or from myself, that is, on my own authority. The Lord Jesus was up in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. You see that in verse 2 of this chapter. And somewhere in the middle of the feast, he entered the temple in Jerusalem, and we're told he taught. Yes, Jesus Christ was a teacher. He came to be, and he was, and he was recognized to be a teacher. It's quite true that his primary mission was not to teach, but to save. And so he likened himself to the good shepherd who went out to seek and to save the lost sheep. He likened himself also to a good physician who had come to heal the sickness of men's souls. But although he came to be a savior, he was a teacher as well, and he spent much of his ministry teaching. Thus we read, he went about among the villages teaching. Mark 6, verse 6. Again, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Luke 4, verse 15. In the synagogues of Galilee and in the temple precincts in Jerusalem, in the open air, by the lake shore, and from a boat, Jesus taught the crowds who thronged him. He disputed with the religious leaders of his day, and he gave a fuller and deeper instruction to the twelve apostles whom he had chosen. 
Moreover, Jesus was recognized as a teacher. People flocked to listen to him. Even the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. The common people heard him gladly. Indeed, we read that they hung on him listening. Luke 19, verse 48. So it is that people sometimes called him Rabbi, and he accepted the title. Nicodemus affirmed that he was a teacher come from God, and Jesus did not deny it. Indeed, Jesus called himself a teacher. You may recall that on one occasion he said to the disciples, You call me teacher and Lord, and so I am. John 13, verse 13. While the heavenly voice of God at the transfiguration said, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. You see, he is a teacher. Listen to his teaching. Now, all this is in no way surprising. If you and I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the eternal word of God made flesh, because the word of God, the logos of God, as John calls him in the prologue to his gospel, means the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. He began to teach long before his incarnation. In the same prologue to the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus is the true light coming into the world. Yes, Mark, you coming into the world before the incarnation and giving light to every man. Every man has glimmerings of light from reason and conscience about the truth. And this he derives from Jesus, the true light, coming into the world and giving light to every man. And not only did Jesus teach before the Incarnation, but he taught after it. That is, he continued to teach through the Holy Spirit after his death. So that the Acts of the Apostles begins that in his former treatise, by which Luke is referring to his Gospel, he recorded what Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus began to teach then, but he continued to teach through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. So you see, Jesus is a teacher before the incarnation, during the days of his flesh, and after. He has been continuously teaching, 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 revealing the truth of God. So, let us together consider the teaching of Jesus. I'm not going to spend time on its content. Uh, this is a subject by itself. Uh, I would like to talk about this. It, it, his teaching is called the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. And much of the teaching of Jesus is about the Kingdom of God. And I'm rather going today to, to speak, not of its content, but of some of its general characteristics from this text in St. John chapter 7. And here is the first point. Let us consider the manner in which the teaching was given. The manner in which it was given. St. John 7 verse 15, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? They were astonished at his teaching. We read in another passage in Luke 4.22, they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. 
Now, what is it that struck them? What is it about the manner of his teaching that was so impressive to his contemporaries? There were, I think, two characteristics. A, the wisdom with which he spoke. Now, nobody will dispute this. The combination of profundity of thought and lucid expression, especially in the homely parables, has impressed everybody who has studied the teaching of Jesus. So it is that the Jews in Jerusalem said, how is it that this man has learning? Or as the margin has it, how is it that he knows his letters when he has never studied? Now, of course, Jesus had studied in a sense. He probably attended the elementary school attached to the synagogue at Nazareth. He'd certainly learned as a boy at his mother's knee, and there can be no doubt that he had studied and deeply meditated in the scriptures for himself. Oh, he had studied, all right, but what the Jews meant is that he had received no formal education. He had not received the higher education, which the scribes all received. Jesus had never sat at the feet of one of the leading rabbis, as was later said of Saul of Tarsus, that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. And so these Jews asked, how is it that he, he has learning? How does he know his letters when he's never studied? A very similar question was asked in the home village of Jesus in Nazareth, after he preached in their synagogue on the Sabbath day. We read in Mark 6, verses 2 and 3. This was the response of the congregation after the sermon. Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given him? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, of Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? You see, where did he get this, this wisdom that he has? We know his trade, he's a carpenter. We know his family, his mother, his brothers and sisters. We know this Jesus never went to Jerusalem to study. So where did he get his wisdom from? That's the first characteristic of his teaching, which impressed and astonished his contemporaries, the wisdom with which he spoke. Then B, there is the authority with which he spoke. Now, this is not mentioned in my text, but several times elsewhere. For instance, after the first sermon uh, that he ever preached in the synagogue at Capernaum on the Sabbath day, we read, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. That's Mark 1.22 and the parallel Luke 4. 32. Uh, we read some very similar words on another occasion after the Sermon on the Mount, that when Jesus had finished his teaching, the crowds were astonished because he taught with authority and not like the scribes. Matthew 7, 28, 29. Now you notice in these references that the authority of Jesus is contrasted with the scribes. We ought to know who these Jewish scribes, or lawyers, as they were also called, were. 
Uh, the scribes are very respected members of the Jewish community. They were literate, educated, and they were the custodians, the students, and the teachers of the law. But in their teaching, they were essentially traditionalists. Each new generation of scribes sat at the feet of its predecessors. The wisdom of the scribes was the accumulated wisdom of the ages. It was known as the tradition of the elders. These scribes belonged to one of the schools of master rabbis, and in all the teaching of the scribes they quoted their authorities. They quoted this rabbi or that rabbi as an authority for what they were teaching. Now you'll see the contrast, that Jesus did nothing of the kind. He never quoted any other rabbi. He quoted no authority of the past, like the scribes. He spoke with a quiet, sure authority of his own. Jesus was completely self-possessed, self-assured in his teaching. He never hesitated or prevaricated in his teaching. Expressions like, uh, it may be, or possibly, or perhaps, were simply not found in his vocabulary. Jesus knew what he wanted to say, and he said it with a calm dogmatism which astonished those who heard him. Most men's philosophy matures gradually. There are very few adults who have an outlook which never develops or changes with the passing years. Most people grow out of the immature views which they held in their youth. Most people can say, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But you know, it's a very remarkable thing that Jesus never contradicted himself. He never withdrew anything which he had said previously. He never even modified a former statement that he had made. Not only so, but this teacher expected men to believe his teaching and to obey it. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when he had finished all that instruction, he likened the person who heard and obeyed his teaching to a householder building his house upon the solid rock which would stand against all the storms and the tempests of life and of eternity, while the person who heard and disobeyed the teaching of Jesus, he likened to a man building his house on the sand, a house that would be swept away in ruin by the storm. Elsewhere, Jesus dared even to assert that he would not be the judge of men on the last day, but that they had a judge, for he said, The word which I have spoken unto you, the same will be your judge on the last day. In other words, men and women are going to be judged by the word of Jesus and by their response to it, their acceptance or rejection of it. Such was the manner in which Jesus taught. He taught with wisdom, without ever having studied in the scribal schools. And he taught with authority, without ever quoting any human authorities. It's plain that his wisdom and authority were from God, not from man. 
I wonder if we accept this wisdom and this authority of Jesus. It brings us naturally to the second characteristic of his teaching. The first was the manner in which the teaching was given, and now secondly, the source from which the teaching was derived. Verse 16, Jesus answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but his that sent me. And again, verse 17, He shall know of the doctrine of the teaching, whether it be from God or whether I speak from myself. You see the double contrast, not mine, but his that sent me, not from my own authority, but from God. Now, you might argue that Jesus is claiming in this no more than to be a prophet. After all, you may say, did not they speak from God? Were they not the mouthpiece of God, so that their teaching was not theirs, but his who spoke through them? Now, that is quite true, but I want to ask you to notice that the claim of Jesus was considerably higher and greater than the claims of the prophets. But in the case of the prophets, we read the word of the Lord came to them. It came from outside, and it only came from time to time. The prophets had an occasional experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and giving them the word of God to communicate to others. But surely you'll readily agree that the teaching of Jesus was quite different from that. We never once read in the Gospels, the word of, of the Lord came to Jesus, saying. You know, the last occurrence of that phrase, the word of the Lord came to somebody, is with regard to John the Baptist in St. Luke chapter 3. And it, it is the last occurrence because John the Baptist was the last prophet. But the word of God didn't come to Jesus. Jesus was the word of God himself. And further, God didn't come upon Jesus occasionally as the Holy Spirit came upon the prophets from time to time. No, no. The Father and the Son enjoyed a permanent, eternal, reciprocal indwelling. Now this is taught, if we could look at the verse, in John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not from myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. In other words, it is because of the permanent abiding of the Son in the Father and the Father in the Son that the words and works of Jesus were equally the words and works of the Father and the words and works of the Son. Thus, the familiar formula of the prophets, thus saith the Lord, is replaced in Jesus by his own formula, Verily, verily, I say unto you. He spoke with the direct authority of God, the authority of the Son of God, who dwelt in the Father and the Father in him. He uttered the words of God, or as is written in John 12, verse, 20, verse 49, I have not spoken from myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say 
and what I should speak. So then, the authority of Jesus was not the authority of the scribe, who needed to quote human authorities, nor the authority of a prophet to whom the word of God occasionally came, but the authority of the Son, who dwelt eternally in the Father, and in whom the Father eternally dwelt. So much for the source from which the teaching derived was derived. That brings me, thirdly and lastly, to the condition on which the teaching was believed and is still believed today. We've considered the manner in which the teaching was given, the source from which the teaching was derived, and now the condition on which the teaching was believed and understood and still is today. Back to John 17, John chapter 7 and verse 17. Literally, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine of the teaching, whether it be from God or whether I speak from myself. You'll notice in this very important verse that there is a promise, he shall know, and there is a condition, if any man is willing to do God's will. Now let's think about this together. We all know that the teaching of Jesus was given a very mixed reception when he was on earth, as it still is today. Some people enthusiastically embraced it. Others were skeptical. Yet others were bitterly opposed to it, while others still received it, only to renounce it later. This mixed reception which the teaching of Jesus got, he illustrated in the parable of the sower, who sowed seed into different soils. Now we also know that nobody could grasp the teaching of Jesus by his own unaided mind and that just as Jesus gave sight to the blind physically, so he gave sight to the spiritually blind, opening their eyes. Why, the minds of even the disciples were closed until they were supernaturally opened, as when the risen Jesus, we read, opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, Luke 24:45. Thus also, when Simon Peter first confessed his faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord's immediate reaction was, Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father in heaven. You will see then that the evidence of the Gospels is that the teaching of Jesus was only grasped, it is only understood by those to whom he gave a supernatural illumination. You may ask then, how can people see and understand? Is it simply a matter of God's sovereign choice and activity, so that he gives light to some and leads, uh, leaves others in darkness? So that he opens the eyes of some and leaves others blind? Well, it is, it is partly that, but it is not entirely that. There are conditions that we must fulfill upon which God is willing to open our eyes to understand the teaching of Jesus. 
And there are two conditions that I ask you to consider. The first is intellectual, and the second, moral. The first is an intellectual humility. According to Matthew 11, 25-27, God hides himself from the wise and clever and reveals himself to babies. That doesn't, of course, mean the young in years. Babes, in the language of Jesus, means the humble in their approach. We've got to humble ourselves intellectually like a little child. We've got to come to the teaching of Jesus with the open, lowly, unprejudiced, receptive mind of a little child. God reveals himself to people like that, but he hides himself from the proudly clever and wise. That's the first condition, intellectual humility. And the second condition is moral surrender. Verse 17 again, if any man is willing to do God's will, he shall know of the doctrine. Now the reason for this moral condition is not far to seek. It is that the teaching of Jesus was not merely to inform and educate. The teaching of Jesus had a practical purpose, namely to save men from their sins. And it cannot be read, the teaching of Jesus cannot be read, with neutrality. I've always liked a quotation from Carnegie Simpson's book, The Fact of Christ. It goes like this, the historical fact of Christ has religious issues because of its moral challenge. As we study, our conscience is aroused. As we examine him intellectually, he examines us spiritually and the roles are reversed. We study Aristotle and are intellectually edified thereby. We study Jesus and are in the profoundest way spiritually disturbed. We are constrained to take up some inward moral attitude of heart and will in relation to Jesus. A man may study Jesus with intellectual impartiality, but he cannot do it with moral neutrality. We must declare our colors. If, therefore, we are only interested in the teaching of Jesus for intellectual reasons and have no intention of obeying it, even if it's true, I tell you, we shall never know or understand his teaching. For if God hides himself from the wise and clever, he hides himself from the willfully stubborn and disobedient as well. This, then, is the very important principle, that our ability to understand and believe depends on our willingness to obey. Let me say that again. Our ability to understand and believe depends on our willingness to obey. This is true not only of unbelievers, but of Christian believers as well. Tell me, is there some Christian listening to me do you sometimes derive no benefit from the word of God when you read it or when you hear it preached? It seems dull. You see no beauty in it. You hear no message from it. Then I want to ask, in what spirit or attitude do you read or listen? Is it in a spirit of humility, like babes? Is it in a spirit of obedience as well, willing to do his will once it is known and understood? 
because it's only on those conditions that we can recognize the divine origin and grasp the practical application of the teaching of Jesus. Now we must come to a conclusion. It's very sad how many people regard Jesus as a great teacher and simply leave it there. They neither study his teaching nor have any serious intention of conforming their lives to it. Now, if it is true what Jesus said, my teaching is not mine, but his that sent me, if we are dealing, in other words, with the teaching of God himself, then we have very solemn responsibilities towards the teaching of Jesus. Let me summarize them briefly as I close. First, the responsibility to study it. I want to urge you to take seriously the study of Scripture and especially the study of the teaching of Jesus as it is recorded in the Gospels. The ignorance of the average churchman today is simply appalling. People have got no grasp of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ at all. I want to urge you to take time to study it, to meditate on his teaching, to seek not only to understand it, but to apply it to your own life. As Jesus said, let these words sink down into your ears. Let's study it and pray for light to understand it. Then second, we have a solemn responsibility to believe it. Now, there is room for us to disagree with one another in our interpretation of it, or at least some parts of it that are not uh, 100% plain. But although we may disagree with one another in interpretation, there is no room for disagreement with Christ. His word is final. We cannot wander through the Gospels picking and choosing what we like and rejecting what we don't like. If we accept the authority of the teaching of Jesus, then many issues are settled for us. For instance, the inherent sinfulness of man that man is evil, and that it's from his sinful heart that proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and jealousy and so on. For Jesus taught the inherent sinfulness of man. Then the fact of the afterlife, the fact that Jesus is coming to judge, that there's going to be an awful separation between the sheep and the goats, the reality of hell as well as of heaven, these things are beyond question, because Jesus taught them. And then again, there is the kind of life that Christians ought to lead. Humble, meek, merciful, forgiving, loving. This is beyond question, because Jesus taught it. And so is the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, these controversial issues, and many others too, are settled for the Christian who accepts the authority of the divine teaching of Jesus. It's our responsibility to study it, to believe it, and thirdly, to obey it. You call me teacher and Lord, Jesus said, and so I am. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word of Christ, we must be a doer of it. We're going to be judged by the word of Jesus, whether we've obeyed it or not. 
our eternal destiny depends on our attitude to the teaching of Jesus. And I want to urge that we shall hear his sayings and obey them, so that we may build our house on the rock of his teaching. And when the storms of judgment break, our house will stand firm. You've been listening to John Stott. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.